ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hey ladies, before we start, just a heads up that this episode deals with situations of abuse, so please take care. And as always, there'll be some resources in the show notes for you. We've also changed some names to protect the women who shared their stories with us. I'm 42 years old and I'm in a marriage that I'm really only in for the money. My husband is a... There's a lot of shame saying that you feel stuck because of money. I am probably still in my current marriage due to finances. My husband is a handsome... Women are much more likely to be in financially precarious situations, which makes it harder for them to leave. Neither of us have voiced this, but it is clear to me. I see women in relationships that they might not want to stay in. I in no way consider myself a gold digger, but this one guy got... Money does not equal freedom. Money equals constraint and being restricted. Restricted. And I really think it was a lot to do with the money. Since then, I've been... It's almost too good to leave, but not good enough to stay. It's maybe not terrible, but you're not happy. Maybe your needs aren't being met. And I feel really conflicted. I want to start this episode by sharing a tidbit from behind the scenes of our busy little podcast factory here. In all the seasons of Ladies We Need To Talk, when we've focused on taboo stuff around bodies and trauma and all kinds of stuff that's hard to talk about, it's usual for us to talk to a couple of real women who've experienced, say, traumatic birth or young widowhood or whatever story we're telling that particular episode. We've even got one coming up on living with a really smelly vagina, for instance. And in all the work we've done gathering stories, we've never come across an episode in which so many women had the experience we want to talk about, but none of them were willing to speak on the record. Married to a narcissist, the phones were running hot. But today's topic? Well, it's staying in a relationship because of money. Our evidence suggests it's too shameful to admit So with permission from the women who emailed, who'd prefer not to appear in person, we've got actors to read their emails. My husband is a complete arsehole to me most days. I spend thousands of dollars on fashion each month and I'm about to go to Europe for the second time this year. A life I could only have dreamt of when I was single. I would never have been able to create this wealth on my own. I'm terrified that if I leave him, I'll end up broke. That was a real email from Anna, and it sums up the cliché that arises when we think about a woman who stays with her partner for the money. She is, in our minds, materialistic, she's polished and wealthy. But what we discovered making this episode of Ladies is that, well, the idea of staying for the money is far more nuanced than gold diggers with designer handbags, poodles and a personal driver. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies... We need to talk about staying for the money. We are all under more financial pressure than ever. The cost of groceries, a tank of petrol, your monthly rent and eye-watering mortgage payments are putting the squeeze on, well, everyone. In 2023, the Consumer Price Index indicated that the cost of living has had the largest annual rise in 24 years. So what happens when these circumstances collide? When you're unhappy with your relationship 
but to leave would ruin you financially. My husband is a handsome, gentle and generous man, but we are not in love. Why are we still together? I have done the maths and I don't think I can start over again financially. It feels like such a big step backwards to where I was before we met, though. I know I shouldn't consider our relationship in money terms. I didn't go into it thinking like that. I feel so stuck. Psychologist Rachel Voisey is the founding director of The Relationship Room. She sees loads of couples and singles in various stages of relationship stress. Rachel says that many women come to her feeling stuck in their relationship and money can be a big factor. I don't think people necessarily come in presenting that that's all of the reason they feel stuck. It's normally much more layered than that. And it's also one of those things where I think there's a lot of shame saying that you feel stuck because of money. But I do find it's probably harder for women to own that straight up, but it often becomes revealed in the process of why they're finding it extra hard to make that move. Rachel explains the psychology of why people choose to stay because their situation doesn't quite suck enough. Part of behaviourism in psychology is that avoiding kind of negative or aversive events, it's a lot more motivating to get away from pain than it is to seek pleasure. It's almost too good to leave but not good enough to stay. The way you just don't feel that it's maybe not terrible but you're not happy, maybe your needs aren't being met, but it's maybe less obvious. So, Rachel, this episode is called Staying for the Money. And what I picture when I see that, it used to be the woman who wanted the fancy car and the, you know, expensive holidays and the handbags, the status symbols, the jewellery. What I can visualise is somebody who's got a grip on a certain lifestyle expectation and she's holding on. She wants to go to Europe once a year or go skiing or have the fridge with the built-in ice maker, Mm -hmm. which I love. Or have their children in private school, which they don't want to pull them out of a school. Like those things too, they cost money. cost money, but it's also huge for the kids to change schools. Yes, Maybe she needs to loosen that grip and accept that she's going to take a few steps down the rungs of status in terms of what she consumes, how she looks, the type of housing she lives in and the types of schools her kids go to. And I think the only reason people do that is because those things are not actually making them happy. The more you feel unfulfilled, I guess, and those things don't hit that spot, the more people become motivated to go, maybe I'd be happier without those things in a life that feels more authentic. Let's take it down a few income brackets. Mm. What if it's a choice between not the skiing holiday and Mm. not the private schools, but it's I'm staying or I'm living out of my car with my kids? And that is a completely different place because that takes you out of self-worth and identity and into survival, which survival is a very different state. And often people will stay for longer and they have to have a lot more time and probably effort in establishing resources to not go to that place because people will be, they just won't go and they don't want to put their kids there either. I think that's where you really, there can be a lot of value in supporting women to be able to have a safe way to leave financially. And, you know, that comes into, I think, a lot of the services that need to be provided for women to either upskill, educate or support them in an exit strategy so they don't feel that way. So that's the classic staying in it for the money. Yeah. Isn't it? And it's it's staying in for the money, but it's staying in it so you can survive. It's like turning off the oxygen. I mean, it's not the same conversation. Rachel, in your 15 years of practice, have you noticed the cost of living 
being so hectic as it is that couples are staying together because they simply can't afford to split up? Absolutely. Rental prices and housing prices, it's made it a lot harder for couples to separate. And it's also probably meant that I've seen a lot more separations under one roof where people cohabitate being separated or these kind of bird nesting arrangements where parents go in and out of the house, leaving the children in the primary house. And living together while you're separated can obviously be tough. Trying to get closure while somebody's right in front of you is a very difficult thing. And on top of that, you know, it can be confusing for children. It can be difficult for friends and family to understand. And it can also make it harder to move on into new relationships. You really feel for people, but you also completely understand that this is the reality of trying to separate when finances are so tough. I currently live with my ex-partner and my three children under the same roof. Ella and her husband were married for eight years and together for another decade before that. Last year, Ella's husband came out and they decided to separate. He's in a livable shed, so we're separated under one roof. Ella and her ex remain amicable and focused on their kids, but they've never been flush with disposable income and can't afford to live in different houses. So my art teaching career kind of came to an end and he also works as a public servant and we're never going to be wealthy, but we're entirely reliant on his income. It's a long way from private jets and vanity surgeries. Ella's situation is complicated by the fact that she lives with disability. I've got a chronic pain condition, which means I can no longer stand up for long durations. I can't lift things. I can't carry things. Realistically, the only reason we're like this is because of finances and he's my carer. It's only been eight months, but it's potentially not sustainable. It's challenging. Is money the only reason you're not living separately? Yeah. Money and the caring situation. We do have three children, so the idea is to co-parent and be a happy, healthy family, whatever that looks like. If we had money, our lives would look completely different. So this episode is called Staying for the Money. You've separated, but you're staying together for the money. Yes. It's really tricky. Yeah, and it's not very much money. (laughs) (laughs) Ella, what would your ideal housing situation look like? We need to be close, but not this close. Ideally, it would be privacy from one another, but co-parenting to some extent, and that's what money would be. Sometimes, actually most times, finances are the reason people don't leave and aren't able to leave, and I think we need to talk about it more. Victoria Devine is the host of the popular podcast, She's on the Money. Victoria aims to educate women about finances. She says she speaks to people on a daily basis who are staying in relationships for the money for a range of reasons. I think the most common one is just that they don't have access to finances to set themselves up for any type of life outside of the relationship that they're in. It could be because they've been a stay-at-home mum for a really long time and they're not the ones that, I guess, bring the income in and don't know how to access it and maybe don't have it. Or it could be because they just don't have enough of it and, you know, moving out and setting up two different households is already a stretch. 
And before you can even get to having two separate households, there's the cost of splitting up. Separation and divorce are expensive and can be financially devastating. And no surprises that women are usually hardest hit. Divorce is something that statistically cripples women more than it cripples men because often the women going through these circumstances don't have access to the resources that they deserve to have access to. The amount of times I've sat down with women and said, okay, let's just get some advice. I promise it will be some of the best money you ever spend. And they realise, wow, I actually have access to my ex-partner's superannuation. And I actually get a fair bit more than I thought I would get from that because I was out of the work Workforce while they were in the workforce. So it's interesting to see how it actually breaks down. And if you're thinking, nah, I don't need lawyers or financial advice, or more likely, nah, I can't afford financial advice, Victoria emphasises that even so-called friendly divorces still have at their hearts two people trying to get the most out of a shitty situation. I think it's really important that regardless of how amicable your, I guess, relationship breakdown is and the divorce that you're going through is, please get advice because it's going to put you in the best possible position. Is there a way to divorce without ruining yourself financially? Look, at the end of the day, divorce is expensive. It's not something that you go through and everybody's super happy with the results. In a perfect world, the divorce would be relatively amicable and you're not being financially ruined. I think if you can keep legal fees to a minimum, that's fantastic. But at the same time, I do think that at some point during that process, you absolutely should seek guidance just to make sure that everything's clean because there's nothing worse than going through that circumstance and then five or six years later looking back and going, wow, I actually should have come out of that circumstance a little bit healthier when it comes to finances. If you're a long-time listener of Ladies We Need to Talk, you might remember that in our episode called How to Break Up Well, we talked a lot about having running away money. If you haven't heard it, go back and have a listen. Victoria endorses that idea fully. I always call it like the get out of jail free fund. Um, And obviously it's just an emergency fund. But having some money squirreled away means that you can say no to a circumstance you don't want to be in. So, Victoria, aside from our squirrel fund, what other ways can we set ourselves up better when it comes to money and relationships? So I think being financially empowered and making sure that you're in the best possible position is having complete clarity. I don't care if somebody is better at finance than the other. If you're in a relationship where your partner pays the bills, please just make sure that you know what are those bills? How much are they? How do they get paid? I only recently split from someone who was totally toxic but unbelievably financially stable. And I compromised a lot of his raging flaws for the fact that he, thus far in my dating history and with my creeping baby-making numbers, was seemingly the most stable provider for future children and living circumstances financially. I feel really conflicted. As a modern woman creeping further into my 30s, I'm capable of being a provider, but that would probably compromise my abilities to be a mother. A lot of women make decisions to stay for security because they need security. Maybe they're hoping to start a family or are the main carers of their kids or ageing parents, maybe they're pregnant, or maybe they just don't want to be living out of their car. 
women really face that added layer of gender inequality. So they're more likely to earn less, they're more likely to have less super. Emily Maguire is the CEO of Respect Victoria. Emily's been working in preventing violence against women for 15 years. And she says that the lack of generational change around gender roles and money can make it difficult for women trying to leave relationships. They're more likely to do the majority of unpaid labour. They are more likely to hold casualised or part-time roles. Emily says that all those things, (coughs) patriarchy, mean that women are much more likely to be in financially precarious situations. It's that sort of social context of gender inequality that really can keep women in unhappy relationships and can mean it's hard for them to leave violent relationships. And it's not just financial precariousness, it can be financial control. We're not saying that all women staying for the money are in a situation of financial abuse, but if they are, it can be really tricky to spot. Looking back on it now, I just see all the points where I was like, red flag, red flag, red flag. Why did I let that happen? Why did I do that? Olivia, which is not her real name, left her financially abusive partner only eight weeks ago. So everything is very fresh and raw. She only realised that he controlled everything to do with money after chatting to a therapist. When I was talking about dynamics in my relationship, it was called out as abusive and I went, oh my God, yes it is. And then that was the kicker. Olivia had a revelation about why it would be so hard to leave. I started to have a bit more of a framework of understanding what was happening to me and why I just couldn't just pick up and get moving and get going and like make this bold step was because you can't heal in an environment where you're constantly being undermined, diminished, you know, when your self-esteem's on the floor. They were together for 17 years and have a couple of kids. They met back when Olivia was in her late 20s and it was that classic whirlwind romance where you move in together really quickly. And here's one of the first red flags, which she didn't see at the time. But what he had said to me was like, oh, I had a credit card debt. He was like, oh, you shouldn't have debt. I'll pay that off for you. Back then, Olivia only owed about $2,000 on her credit card. And I was like, oh, no, 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 because I was like, no, hyper-independent, got to take care of myself. But he pushed and pushed to pay the debt and eventually Olivia gave in. Yeah, sure, pay off my debts. Not long after, he convinced her to quit her job to pursue her creative ambitions, which felt like he was just being really supportive. So then it slowly started, like, we started having arguments about money and, like, my expenditure was frivolous and why are you buying that and who is this phone call to? Why are you on the phone for an hour? Like, I'm supporting you. I paid your credit card, blah, blah, blah. How could you get into that debt? So it kind of devolved into this touchy subject that felt like he loved bringing it up with me and watching me squirm and also justifying my expenditure to him and he could do whatever he wanted with the money because he was earning it, whereas I had to explain it and justify what I was doing. And so very quickly I kind of lost my, that hard-won independence. Her partner chipped away at her confidence and self-esteem. Part of it was like, who's going to love me? Very insidiously, this interwoven 
dynamic played out where, yes, I was being supported in inverted commas, but I was also being bullied into that position and sort of not knowing how to get out of it. I have been told, you know, to quit jobs, I'll support you so that I necessarily didn't have to go to work, that I'd be available to look after the children. But on the flip side of that, kind of in a position where I haven't had any control over the money that we have. And if I do, it's limited. If I do, it can be questioned any minute. If I do, it's kind of this, like over 17 years, patterns have developed where I, just the relationship to money and wanting to get out of a relationship, but then not having the resources to do it. Olivia had been trying to make a plan to leave for more than four years, but one day had simply had enough. You know, really making sure that I'm going to have a job when I leave and I'm going to be independent and fuck him and all that sort of stuff, but I just, it hasn't worked that way. (laughs) So I just got to a point where I was like, I've just got to get out of here and I don't know what I'm going to do. So it was a real leap of faith. What do you wish you knew as a younger woman about money and relationships? I think that keeping a level of financial independence is so important. And if your potential future partner is questioning that or gets offended by it or can't handle it, get out. That is their problem, not yours. Here's Emily Maguire again, CEO of Respect Victoria, describing some of the red flags to look out for, indicating that a potential partner might be financially abusive. Things like wanting to set up a joint bank account really, really early. I think we sort of automatically assume in this society that if you're in a heterosexual relationship, then you want to share finances. Perpetrators of violence will often put credit cards into their partner's name or spend a whole bunch of money on credit cards that is in their joint name. And then all of a sudden, when it comes to relationship separation, you find out that you're massively in debt or your credit rating has been impacted. What's one of the reasons you think that people miss that they're being financially controlled? So I think one of the reasons it's so easy to miss it is that we are socialised into gender roles that tell us that, you know, for example, men are supposed to be the breadwinners and women are supposed to stay at home with the children. I also think we're socialised into what relationships look like. And I think a lot of the times when women are experiencing financial abuse, it becomes so incredibly normalised, like a lot of other sorts of abuse, that it can be really hard to sort of recognise and back yourself and to step out. It's one of the reasons why, on average, it takes women seven times to leave a violent relationship because their perpetrator has has so carefully and deliberately knocked them down so that they don't trust their own gut and trust their own judgment. If you're listening thinking, oh, I just thought my partner really liked big red flags and waving them right up in my face. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But if these descriptions of financial abuse sound like the situation you're in, Emily has some advice. If you feel like you might be experiencing financial abuse or control, you can call 1-800-RESPECT or you can contact your state family violence service for support. And depending on which state or territory you live in, you might also have a community legal centre or a women's legal service in your area that you can reach out and, and, and talk to and just seek some informal advice in the first instance. And it's okay to say, listen, I haven't left him yet. I'm just thinking about it. It absolutely is. I think what happens when women call services, even crisis services, is that they're often calling for a sense check or a safety check or a conversation. They're not calling to set a process in train and everything when you call those services is 100% or should be 100% within your control. 
Emily, let's say there's a woman listening who's in the early stages of a relationship and she's thinking, hmm, I don't want this to happen to me. What can she do to shore herself up before she gets in too deep? Lots of us have grown up in an environment where you, you get told that talking about money is impolite. Having a discussion early on in your relationship or whenever you can about your relationship to money, what are your spending habits, what are your saving habits, how do you want your finances to be shared or actually do you just want to maintain separate bank accounts and you each pay a portion of the rent or the mortgage? And talking to your friends who are in relationships about how they manage it, I think if you are at the stage of having children or having your second or your third kid, having a conversation with your partner about, so I'm going to be off work and someone's going to need to be paying my super, so let's have a conversation about splitting your super to make sure that I'm getting paid as well. A lot of us hope to have fulfilling lives of working hard and having friends and growing our nest eggs by, say, for instance, buying a small garbage bin to live in and paying it off as we wither and age and our teeth drop out. And if a bad choice in partner annihilates that dream, it's devastating. A theme that we return to again and again on this podcast is how important it is to arm ourselves with knowledge, whether it's about vaginas or money, and to be fearless in having conversations about those things with key stakeholders. And no, I don't mean talk to your vagina and talk to your money. I mean talk to your partner. Talk to the people you're auditioning to be your partner. Explain your hopes and expectations. Describe your goals. Be very clear about what's okay and what's not okay. And never surrender control of your vagina or your money. Financial independence is not a sign that you've got a bad relationship. It is not a sign that you don't trust your partner. It is a sign that you are comfortable and happy and healthy and safe enough to put yourself first. With 48% of marriages ending in divorce in Australia, I'd say that's the best advice you're going to hear today. Put yourself first. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Gundungurra and Gadigal peoples. Ladies We Need to Talk is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Hannah Achelis. Supervising producer is Alex Lolbach and our executive producer is Kyla Slavin. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. Hey, I'm Sana Kadar, and I host a podcast called All in the Mind. And if you've ever wondered how our brains work or why people behave the way they do, you'll love All in the Mind. It's a psychology podcast that explores everything from mental health to artificial intelligence, with topics like how our brains interpret fantasy novels, what psychological techniques scammers use, and what it's like living with bipolar disorder. Find All in the Mind on the ABC Listen app.